We read scripture this morning from Romans chapter 3. Romans 3. We read this chapter and connects with Lord's Day 23, which introduces the subject of justification. The fact that we are justified by faith. Romans 3 establishes the importance of that justification not on the basis of our works, but by faith only. We hear the inspired, infallible word of God. What advantage then hath the Jew? Or what profit is there of circumcision? Much every way, chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? God forbid. Yea, let God be true, but every man a liar. As it is written, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings, and mightest overcome when thou art judged. But if our unrighteousness commend the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unrighteous, who taketh vengeance? I speak as a man. God forbid. For then how shall God judge the world? For if the truth of God hath more abounded through my lie unto his glory, why yet am I also judged as a sinner? And not rather as we be slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, let us do evil, that good may come, whose damnation is just. What then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise. For we have before proved both Jew and Gentiles that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone, out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say, at this time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? 
Yes, of the Gentiles also, seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and uncircumcision through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid. Yea, we establish the law. We read God's word that far. May God bless that word to our hearts. As I stated, we read this in connection with Lord's Day 23. We have question and answers 59, 60, and 61 in the back of our Psalters on page 13. Question 59, but what doth it profit thee now that thou believest all this? That I am righteous in Christ before God and an heir of eternal life. How art thou righteous before God? Only by a true faith in Jesus Christ, so that though my conscience accuse me that I have grossly transgressed all the commandments of God and kept none of them, and am still inclined to all evil, notwithstanding, God, without any merit of mine, but only of mere grace, grants and imputes to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ. Even so, as if I never had had nor committed any sin. Yea, as if I had fully accomplished all that obedience which Christ has accomplished for me. Inasmuch as I embrace such benefit with a believing heart. Why sayest thou that thou art righteous by faith only? Not that I am acceptable to God on account of the worthiness of my faith, but because only the satisfaction righteousness, and holiness of Christ is my righteousness before God, and that I cannot receive and apply the same to myself any other way than by faith only. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Heidelberg Catechism reminds us powerfully in this Lord's Day that it is expounding the Word of God in a practical, experiential manner. In the previous Lord's Days, beginning at Lord's Day 7, we began treating the Apostles' Creed. And we walked through all of the various doctrines that are set forth in the Apostles' Creed. The fact that God is creator of heaven and earth, that he is my Father for Christ's sake. The fact that Jesus was born of a virgin. Walking through all of those statements that we make our own when we make confession of our faith. And now, this question is asked. What doth it profit thee that thou believest all this? In other words, it's fine. You confess that all. Wonderful. What does that mean now for you? How does that affect your life and your heart? We know the doctrines not merely for the sake of knowing doctrine. Although there are many benefits of believing the truths of God's word and knowing the truths of God's word, The purpose is not so that we can argue with individuals and so that we can show ourselves smarter and more effective than they or any other reason. Fundamentally, the catechism directs us here to the importance of it. That I, in my heart, may know the wonder of my salvation. Why is it that it's necessary for me to know that God is God, that he's the creator, that he's father, that Jesus was born of a virgin and all of the rest? It's so that I know that though I'm a sinner, though I deserve everlasting damnation because of my sin, I have a Savior. And that Savior is Jesus Christ who has laid his life down in my place so that I 
am righteous before God. That's a profound answer. And that, beloved, is the greatest need of every man, woman, and child. You know your sin. You know your unworthiness. And I do. How then will we stand before the living God as judge of heaven and earth? The day will come when God will call all of us to give an account before him. And how will we stand? And the catechism directs us here to the fact, I am not my own. I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's through him alone that I stand, confessing that I am righteous in Jesus Christ. For our spiritual comfort, it's of utmost importance that we grasp the wonder of this truth. My righteousness and your righteousness is not based on anything of myself. That righteousness alone is the righteousness of Christ. And as we walk before him and as we anticipate the wonder of his goodness and of his mercy, we confess all that we are and all that we have is his. And he is the one who graciously has looked upon us and who has declared us righteous on the basis of Christ's perfect work alone. And then he gives me faith that I believe that I am righteous not only, but that I am an heir of eternal life. Those two go hand in hand. If I am righteous before God, then my future is life everlasting and the fullness of the glory of heavenly bliss. Controversies abound over this doctrine, as we're well aware. Is my justification on the basis of my works? Is it on the basis of something that's in me by which I am righteous and therefore I lean on my own ability? The Catechism, reflecting the teaching of Scripture here in Romans 3, verse 28, states, Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. And we look at that as our only comfort, justified by faith alone, noting the idea, the ground, and the gift of faith that God gives us. The righteousness that we lay hold on by faith is an imputed righteousness. Now, that's very important for us to understand. It's imputed. It's not infused into us. And just understand briefly the importance of that. Righteousness that is imputed affects or changes our status, our state before God. We appear before God as those that are guilty. At the moment of death, we stand before the judge of heaven and earth. At the end of the world, we will stand before the judge. And we stand before him as those whose state is guilty. Our condition is sinful and sinners. Justification affects now our state. God now declares concerning us, you are righteous. And that righteousness is an alien righteousness, we say. It's not our own. It's that of another. It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ applied now to my account. As if you incurred a great debt and you couldn't begin to pay that debt. But all of a sudden, one day you logged into your bank account and there was an extra million dollars in your bank account. And you know it couldn't have come from you. Someone else applied it to your account. It's their money, but now it's been applied to you. 
That's the idea of imputed. The righteousness of Jesus Christ is now applied to our account so that our state before God is that of innocent, righteous before God. It's not a righteousness for which we can take any personal credit. A righteousness that's infused, as some would teach, is a righteousness that affects our inner condition. It makes it so that now as we stand before God, it's not just our state that's been changed, but we are changed in that now our condition is that of which we can boast. So that an infused righteousness that I am righteous now on the basis of my own works, my own conduct. And now I stand before God on that basis declaring my righteousness. That's not biblical. The righteousness that is ours is not infused, it's imputed to our account. It affects our state, not our condition. Our condition is affected by sanctification, our state by justification. And so God now comes to those who are guilty, whose state is that of guilt, and he says, you are innocent, you are righteous, because I have imputed The righteousness of Jesus Christ, I've credited that now to your account. What is righteousness? To be righteous is simply to be right with God. It's to be in harmony with God and with his will. Justification is God's declaration, you are right with regard to me. You are in harmony with my will. Now again, that's astounding. How can that be? I know who I am. I know what I did this morning. I know the thoughts that I thought. And yet I stand before the living God of heaven and earth, the searcher of all hearts, and he says concerning me, you are right. And so perfect this declaration is that the perfect righteousness, satisfaction, and holiness of Jesus Christ are granted and imputed to us as if we had never committed any sin as if we were the ones ourselves who accomplished the wonder of that salvation. Now, we know that's not the case. That's impossible. But that's the wonder, the nature here of our justification. God was in Christ from the beginning of time reconciling us to himself. And this is a wonder that began in eternity as God determined to choose to himself a people upon whom he would place the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The two necessary components of that justification then are being acquitted from guilt and having a right to everlasting life. I'm declared righteous and I'm now made an heir of everlasting life. I'm declared as one who's right with God and therefore now on the basis of that declaration I have access then to the wonder, the blessedness of life and fellowship with the living God. God accomplishing that wonder by what we call double imputation. Jesus Christ took upon himself our sins in order that he might transfer to us his righteousness. And again, we talk about imputation, not infusing our sins were credited to him it's not as though he became sinful because those sins were infused into him those sins credited 
to Christ. He now, as to his state, has changed from one who is innocent and perfect to one who is guilty. And as a result of his perfect work, his righteousness imputed to us. A double imputation. Our sins to him, his righteousness to us. The marvel of that justification is that it's applied to men and women who know their sins and know their sinfulness. And that's been the emphasis here of Romans 3, reflecting what we've noted in the previous Lord's Days, especially those first ones having to do with our misery. Who are we? We are sinners. There is none righteous, no, not one. Verse three, verse, chapter 3, verse 10. Even my best works are as filthy rags. I'm a sinner, and I'm sinful. I know that my sin is not just simply a matter of the things I've done. It has to do with my nature and who I am. And now the living God of heaven and earth, despite the fact that I know my sin, know my sinful nature, says, you are righteous. So that when I say I am righteous, this is contrary to everything that I know about myself. And the catechism points that out. My conscience accuses me. Now our conscience isn't just some inner experience and feeling. Our conscience literally means to know with. And the idea here is that God gives us to know with him who and what we are. So that the idea of our conscience is God's testimony into our innermost mind by his word and through the scriptures. He brings that testimony to me concerning all my actions, all my conduct. And the testimony of God is that I'm a sinful individual. The more I hear his word, the more I read and study about his will, the more I'm convicted of that. I don't love God like I should. I don't love the neighbor as I ought. But here's the answer to my doubts and my fears. You are righteous. Astounded again we are. How can it be that I am declared righteous when I know who and what I am? And I know the testimony of my conscience. Now the catechism accurately conveys here that testimony which is damning of our conscience is such that I am still inclined to all evil, that I've grossly transgressed all the commandments of God and kept none of them. I stand before a holy and righteous God who knows my heart, who knows all my thoughts, who knows what I've done, and I deserve to be punished for my sin. I'm guilty. And I look at myself and I look at the mirror of God's law and expose me, and I know that, that testimony is correct. Now, we don't like that testimony because that testimony humbles us. It makes us see, I'm no better than anyone else. I'm a continual sinner. I can't boast in my ability. I can't in any way puff myself up in pride. There's no room for me to think of myself more highly than anyone else. But although my conscience accuses me, and though I know the testimony of that conscience is true, God says, you are righteous, innocent. You are worthy of eternal life, and I'm making you an heir of that 
eternal life. What a wonderful testimony of God. Beloved, this is the wonder of justification. God looks upon me, a sinner, and he takes sins, and he credits them to Jesus' account, and he takes Jesus' righteousness and accounts it to me. Now, how can that be possible? God is a righteous God. God cannot just punish someone for sins that he's never committed. And God can't just let someone off the hook who's a sinner. And so that drives us to understand the ground as found in Jesus Christ alone. And the catechism says, without any merit of mine. When I look at myself, I see the utter impossibility of any kind of ground, any kind of basis for this righteousness to be found within me. I am an absolute failure when it comes to the righteous demands of the law. I have not loved God perfectly, and that's what he requires. God doesn't just say, do your best. He says, love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. He says, and then love the neighbor with everything that you have, all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. We stand convicted. Now our attempt, is it not, is to try to find a way out by making ourselves look better. And we think, but if only I can do this. And so I'm going to make sure that I go through the outward motions. I go to church. I pay my bills. I do everything that's diligent. I, I show up at work good. I'm honest. And on the basis of that, perhaps I can change. And perhaps others will look at me differently. And perhaps even God would. But what foolishness. So easy it is for us to start leaning on and depending on our own ability. But what motive? It's all selfish again. The works of the Christian can't earn anything in terms of our justification. We can't bring in our holiness, our sanctification into our justification. That is the fruit. Our good works are the fruit of our being justified, not the ground of it. The ground of your and my justification cannot be anything in ourselves. The scripture always speaks the same language as we read here in verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. In the moment when God declares me, you, righteous, we appear before God as those who yet are sinful and sinners. God justifies the ungodly. Now those ungodly are his elect. They're his elect whom he's called from all eternity. But they, as they appear before him, have nothing in themselves on which they can stand. And there is no basis for his declaration to be found within them. Your and my justification is not on the basis of our condition. That typically is the way a judge would make a ruling. He would declare whether a man is to walk or stay in jail based on his condition. If God would do that, we would all be doomed to everlasting destruction in hell. But beloved, we have a Savior. We have a Savior in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And the only righteousness that's possible is through Him. Alone. The apostle puts it this way in verses 21 here to 26. 
But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. God sent his son. And God didn't send his son because we asked him to send him. We never would ask for a Savior in our sinful condition. We were not looking to be delivered in our sinful condition. He came as God's Messiah, God's mediator, to accomplish the will of God with regard to the salvation of his elect. And what was accomplished by Jesus Christ is imputed to them. Jesus Christ comes as the representative head of the living God. He comes as the one who is righteous and holy, without spot, without any kind of blemish. And he comes as surety for God's elect to realize and to accomplish the atonement of their sins and their reconciliation to fulfill the law. Romans 5 verse 19 teaches that just as the sin of Adam was imputed to the whole human race, so the righteousness of Christ now is imputed to many. The actual deed of eating of the tree was not committed by Adam's descendants in person. And yet the sin Adam committed was committed to their account. In the same way, the righteousness of Christ is not committed. It's not in any way carried out by God's people, but it's credited to their account. Our basis, the righteousness of Jesus Christ and his perfect obedience alone. And so that's our confession this morning. With joy and with thankfulness, I am righteous in Christ before God and an heir of eternal life. And notice again the very personal confession here of the catechism. Having studied about God, having studied about what Jesus did, having studied the work of the Holy Spirit, what is your conclusion? That I am righteous before God in Jesus Christ. That I am an heir of eternal life. This is the heart of all true Christianity. This is the substance of the gospel. If I am righteous in Christ by faith, I have everything that's necessary for life everlasting. If not, I have nothing. I'm doomed to everlasting destruction in hell. There are multitudes who have no life in Christ, whose whole life is focused on money, on pleasure. They don't have a thing. Their life is focused on the things of this earth, none of which they can take with them. It's all going to perish. And they're going to stand before the living God of heaven and earth. And what will they have? They have nothing. Nothing on which to stand. There are those whose life is focused on religion even. On religious practices. 
but they don't have anything. Because all they have is their own thoughts, their own philosophies, their own engagements. What does it profit you if you believe that God is triune? You believe the truth concerning Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body? What does it all profit you if you don't know Christ? And you don't know the wonder of your salvation through Him alone? There's going to be many on Judgment Day who say, Lord, Lord, look what I've done. Even the devil himself knows about God. He knows about what Christ has done. And God says to those, I've never known you. Beloved, are you and am I prepared to stand before the living God and confess, I am righteous in Christ, before God and an heir of eternal life, that I am righteous by faith and therefore a partaker of all the blessings that are found in Jesus Christ. That I'm not my own. I belong to Him. Why? He bought me. He paid the price that was necessary in order to rescue me from the desperate situation and condition in which I am. And therefore, He is mine. And I belong to Him. He is my head. His righteousness is my righteousness. All His work and His satisfaction is imputed to me So much so as if I had never been burdened with any sin. As if I had never committed any sin. As if I had truly accomplished the perfect righteousness of God. Beloved, do you believe that? It's by faith that we lay hold on that wonder. And we are humbled to the dust. And this is what moves us, beloved, to gratitude, to thankfulness in our Christian life. I owe my all to Him. I can't take any credit for any iota of my salvation. Embrace such a benefit by true believing heart. And that's the confession of the catechism. When we talk about faith and the fact that we are justified by faith, the temptation is that we say, well, that's my faith, it's my doing, so that still we try to make an attempt that there's some ground, there's some reason for my salvation because of me. But notice how the Belgic Confession destroys any attempt in Article 22 at the last half of that article. Therefore, we justly say with Paul that we are justified by faith alone or by faith without works. However, to speak more clearly, we do not mean that faith itself justifies us, for it's only an instrument with which We embrace Christ, our righteousness. But Jesus Christ, imputing to us all his merits and so many holy works which he has done for us and in our stead is our righteousness. And faith is an instrument that keeps us in communion with him in all his benefits, which, when they become ours, are more than sufficient to acquit us of our sins. The relationship of faith to our salvation is set forth in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. By grace ye are saved through faith, and that faith is a gift from God. Faith is not the ground of my justification. Faith is the bond that me to Christ. And because of that union with Christ, I'm able to know the wonder of the reality that I am not my own. I belong to Him. Faith isn't a work that I've performed that earns something with God. It's not of 
work by which righteousness is deserved. It's not a condition I need to fulfill. In no way is faith a work of man. It's a gift from God. The bond that unites me to Jesus Christ. And now the fruit of that faith is that I lay hold on Christ. So that we can talk about faith objectively as that spiritual bond that unites us to Christ. We can talk about the fact that subjectively that faith is evidenced by our believing and our laying hold on the wonder of that truth. When God looks at us in Christ, he sees us connected to Christ. He sees us bound to Jesus Christ. He sees us crucified with him, buried with him, raised with him. He sees us united to Christ by a true and living faith and therefore partakers of all of his blessings of the forgiveness of sins and life everlasting. And that's our confession. My justification is in Christ alone. Yet we talk about the fact that I'm justified by faith alone. How is it that both can be true? Again, objectively, my justification is in Jesus Christ. He's the one who made the perfect sacrifice. It's his perfect obedience that delivers me. But now, that righteousness becomes mine consciously in the sense that I have the assurance that it's imputed to my account by faith. Faith is the means by which I lay hold upon the fact that I am righteous. It's not the basis, but it's the means. Objectively justified in Jesus Christ, subjectively I experience that wonder by faith, which is a gift from God that unites me to Jesus Christ with a true and living bond. And so when we live out of that faith, beloved, we experience and we know the conscious life of Christ as the foundation of your and my salvation. As we walk by faith, we confess, my salvation is not of myself. It's not of the basis of anything I've done. I look to Christ. He's the one that earned it all for me. And he's the one upon whom I entirely depend. And so how does that work in our lives? We hear the gospel, and we hear the preaching of the gospel, and we hear the call to repentance. Our sins are exposed, and we cry out for mercy. We see the horror of our sins. We realize our own unrighteousness, our unworthiness. And Christ draws us to himself. We hear Christ calling us, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Christ draws us irresistibly by his grace and by his And we lay hold on him by faith. He works in us that faith so that we believe in him, we trust in him, we cling to him. And we know that our salvation is through him alone. Now the catechism talks about that dual testimony of our conscience, but then at the same time by faith knowing our justification. Just some clarity in that regard. They're not on the same level. It's not as though we go through life being in two different states. On the one hand, I'm in the state of sinfulness and sin. On the other hand, I'm in the state of innocence. While it's true, I'm a sinner. I remain sinful until the day that I die and God translates me to glory. I go through this life by faith. And the testimony that rules I am righteous 
in Jesus Christ. That righteousness is mine. And that righteousness is such that I know that though I die, yet I shall live because of my union with my Savior. If God be for me, who can be against me? Confession of the child of God by faith. As he lives out of that bond, that union with Jesus Christ. The fruit of faith is knowledge and confidence. God works in us the knowledge of what Christ did for me and the certainty with regard to that work. And he works the confidence that based on my union with Jesus Christ, I am righteous. Faith, the bond that unites us to Christ and then works in And that confidence by which we go forward justified. Confessing the wonder of what great things God has done for me. I know Christ and am known of him. And by faith I know that though I lie in the midst of sin with the constant testimony of my sinful nature, I am an adopted child of God. And in the midst of this death, I live. I am righteous. Amen. Our Father who art in heaven, what a wonder of grace thou hast made known unto us. We are sinners. We know our sinfulness. We are ashamed of our sin. We experience the effects and the consequences of that sin bitterly in our lives. And yet, in mercy, thou dost look upon us in love, declaring us righteous on the basis of Christ's perfect work. What gratitude, what joy floods our hearts and grant that we might live in that joy, knowing my sin, my sinfulness is forgiven and I have the righteousness that is in Jesus Christ as my own. We thank Thee for that precious testimony and for the wonder of the gospel by which we might live our lives in thankful praise unto Thee, the God of our salvation. Amen.